All right, hello and welcome, everybody. This is The Queer Experience. I am Eric Carmine, your podcast host for the evening. My pronouns are he, they, and today we are talking about all things comic books turned into movies and television entertainment. Um, so I'm joined by a, a number of guests. I'm going to let them introduce themselves. I'm going to start with Ama. I'm not going to start with Ama. I'm going to start with Chris. Hello, I'm Chris. Pronouns are he, him. Um, I am a writer. I'm a software developer. Um, I'm very excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me. And we'll kick it over to DJ. Hey, y'all. My name is DJ Kelly Kutroki. I use he, him, his pronouns. Uh, by day, I work in higher ed, and um, I'm a nerd all of the time. And then last but not least, we'll kick it over to Ama. Hey, everybody. My name is Ama Marfo. I use she, her pronouns. I am a writer, a comedian. I work in ed tech, and every now and again, we'll do some pop culture writing, which is why apparently, occasionally, I get to talk on things like this with loud opinions about TV and movies. So I'm excited to get it going. And we appreciate your loud opinions about TV and movies. Um well, just before we jump into anything, I will say for anyone listening, um, I know that at this point, Black Panther 2 has come out and some people have seen it and some people have not. So we're going to we are going to talk about it a little bit at the end of the episode after we do the like, thanks for listening. We'll have like a tag at the end where the, the four of us will just go on about our quick feelings. But otherwise, this episode will be spoiler free of all things Black Panther 2. Um, but I'm going to jump in. So I want to the, the first I gave everyone some some questions, some things to ponder. Um, and the first thing was, I think, that, which is probably an important thing for everybody, is like, at this point, there's so much comic book, TV, movie stuff out there. Like, it's getting to the point where I think it's hard. There's so much to consume that I, I sometimes am lost on what's actually available. Um, but at some point, like, we all got our start. And so I'm curious, um, and we'll go reverse order this time. So we'll start with Ama. What was your, what was your like entry point? Like what got you started in the realm of this like entertainment, we'll call it this entertainment theme genre. Genre's good. Uh so I had to think about this a little bit and I started looking at like the recent wave of movies and then going back a little bit further and I realized that my correct answer is Adam West era Batman. So that movie from 1966, I believe, and then the TV show that came shortly after, that was my entry. So it was fun. It was really bombastic and frankly, silly. And as somebody who plays so much in the area of comedy, it just, it was a fun way to go about getting to know those characters. So it may betray itself later on as we go that some of the things that have taken comics too seriously, I have less fun with, but I think my origin kind of addresses why that might be so adam west era batman was where i got started nice i feel like that that's actually something i've never i've i feel like i've seen clips but i've never like seen it oh the movie is wonderful it's so dumb <laughs> so fun <laughs> like if ever you hear me just like in a situation and i go some days you just can't get rid of a bomb that's what that's from <laughs> and if you've seen the scene it's fantastic oh <sighs> All right, uh, and we'll kick up, uh, DJ. What was what was your starting point for for all of this? Yeah, I think my starting point, um, kind of like Alma, I had to think real hard about this, but it was X Men the animated series. I think mm. I remember Ooh. 
um, seeing that and loving it, and as well as um, the arcade game that you had where you could play Cyclops or Nightcrawler or Storm or uh-huh. um, both of them at the same time um, were kind of things that came into my sphere. And um, I could probably talk about why now I understand why those resonated so hard, but at the time I was just like, heck yes, superpowers. <laughs> Actually, on our on our first episode, one of the people talked about their entry point to like all things just nerdy in general was specifically the arcade game because he grew up on the Jersey Shore and he was like, I got to play Dazzler. And that was very much an origin <laughs> for a lot of things down the line. For my bachelor party, I went to a barcade and I made my entire party and I take over that machine and spend $5 to beat the entire game as we were sitting there. It was worth it. Amazing. Awesome. And Chris, what about you? So I'm a late bloomer. I got into it pretty late into my adult life. But um, when the CW show, the Arrow like verse first kick started mm. things, I was oh. like, wow, okay, I'm really into this. And then they started doing like crossovers. And I'm like, wow, this is a thing. You can cross over multiple shows into one thing. And I was very like obsessed with that, excited that you can actually see characters evolve across different shows and you can have you know, just so many different things. And I was obsessed with, like, Black Canary as a character. Um, So then from Mm -hmm. there, and I'm very still upset what they did to Katie Cassidy on that show, but I'm not going to talk about that right now. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But, yeah, I think that's how I started. And then I started to go back and then watch a lot of things that I'd missed. And, like, I really loved the Dark Knight trilogy. Um, And then, you know, I got into the MCU and I started it all the way from the beginning. Um, And here we are. And here we are, a thousand movies later, and a thousand Android. seasons into the Arrowverse. I don't know where they are right now. <laughs> I stopped at some point. Yeah, and I, it's yeah. Some of those shows, like I, I always give credit. Like I feel like the CW shows did like a really solid job of like bridging all those things together. For as much as like the CW is kind of like its own genre of television, like oh, it's on the CW, which means like. I can expect these level of tropes and other things. Those shows were just, especially I was a big fan of the flash. I think out of the CW mm-hmm. Arrowverse, like the flash was my like one that I loved. Cause just like, despite being the same problem over and over again, which was Barry Allen time traveling <laughs> <laughs> every season. It was just like, there was something like, I don't know, endearing about it. And like the earnestness of it. Um, and despite me being the person who wrote the questions, I also had to think a bit about this. And I, I like, I want to say that my entry point was the X-Men animated series, but I think I watched that when I was younger and I think that got me kickstarted into kind of like nerdy things in general. But if it's like, you're really talking about like what got me into like the movie level, like the, the, we're going to binge a show. We're going to do like, it was the X-Men movie in like the early 2000s. Uh huh. Yeah. Which... For as many issues as that thing has, including some writing which should be locked away, never to be uttered again, <laughs> and it some of its you know people involved with the show should also be never near movies ever in their future. Well, um, yeah, <laughs> but like it was one of those things. Where, like it was those characters that I remembered from like cartoons when I was a kid being brought into like the real world in this way, and it was. I don't know. And like the marketing around it was so good. Like it was, I was like from there, like that was it. I was in, I was, I was on for the ride of anything that was coming out in terms of like comic book stuff. 
Um, Chris, you make a good point. I, I love those movies, um, even now. Um, but And Alma may not like this, but I, I almost classify them in that campy side of things, kind of with Adam West's Batman, where it's like, if I try to take it seriously, like some of the more recent MCU coming out, no, it doesn't hold up. But when I think about like just how ridiculous it is overall, and they're trying to play real, um, it makes it lose a little better in my head. But we'll see. <laughs> I think the problem, maybe the problem with those, like those earlier, like that the X Men, like that trilogy, specifically that trilogy, is I think had it had it been in on its own joke. Then it yes. might, then it might like have yes. the lasting, but like it, it doesn't, it, they don't, they weren't in on their own jokes. <laughs> they were just like, we're going to take this so seriously. Did you yeah. know what happens to a frog when it's struck by lightning? <laughs> How did I know that was the line you were thinking of? <laughs> and I, I think that's true. Like there's a spectrum of camp, I suppose, in the sense that like camp that's in on itself and camp that isn't. And the X-Men's I find at least that particular set wasn't in on it, but like we all knew. And then once you had a basis of comparison where they weren't that way, you're like, Oh no, they were definitely doing something different. So like I mentioned before, like comic books have been like, we've been saturated with comic book stuff um, to the point that like, I feel like people are now like, it's, it's almost like RuPaul's drag race where it's like, there's too much. RuPaul just booked like the entire continent of Asia for more franchise spinoffs like today. So, you know, what, what like in present day, like, cause I know I'm someone who's like committed to these like movies and shows for the most part, but like, what, what has been the draw for you in like a present day setting um, in terms of like some of these comic book either. And I know I've been talking about the movies, but like there's a, a vast library of like television too. Um, I don't know whoever wants to jump in and say like what what in 2022 like has kept you engaged with some of this content. Can I offer a potentially dissenting opinion first? Because I sense most people don't feel the way I do about it. Yes, I love dissenting opinions. Please stir that pot. So I think for me, the connection to larger lore and like that massive through line that ties everything together Mm -hmm. just over time has become less and less attractive. So like the stories that operate almost independently of everything else that's going on, I'm really, really enjoying those. Like as someone who grew up on TV, Eric, you know this about me, loves TV is like very into it, like as a form WandaVision was immensely attractive, not just because I really like Paul Bettany and have been yelling on the Paul Bettany train for over 20 years. So people were like, oh, he's really good. And I was like, yeah, I know. But that part was like really attractive to me. But the connection to the MCU was almost secondary to the way that it celebrated television and played around with form. And then another one in that vein that kind of like really connected with me was Moon Knight. And again, that's another one that, like, you take Moon Knight out, you don't miss anything. It's not connected to anything. So the character studies have been really interesting, and, like, the approaches to me have been interesting. But in a lot of ways, a lot of the rest of it to me is, like, I like an actor, let's see what they're doing. Or for the sake of continuity, if there's something I know I'm going to want to watch. Like, I really like the Thors, for example. So anything that connects to the Thors, I'll watch. Or Black Panthers, obviously. Anything that connects directly to those, I'm going to watch. But for me the completest piece of it is less attractive than the really interesting individual parts 
which I, I think, and the, you know, one thing for me that I think is interesting along that line is that I think the Marvel through line for me has been interesting to kind of follow. And I do think we're getting at a point where like, there's so much through line that it's hard to like figure out what do I need to watch in theory for like whatever thing is coming out. Uh, which like multiverse of madness was a good example of like, okay, there's like 12 different things that maybe you should watch. And yeah. then like one other thing that you probably should have watched, but no one realized you needed to watch it. Um, specifically the what ifs, like no one sure. realized that that was important. But on my, like, the other side, like when, like, cause whenever we talk about comic book stuff, I think like we fall into like Marvel and DC like camps. I think for me, like the challenge on the DC side of it is almost the exact opposite of what you're saying. Like they almost, they need something to pull their their in my brain they need something to pull that together to make it resonate i did just i just watched shazam for the first time last night in preparation for this um and shazam i like a lot and shazam i think is a great example again too of like if i just like shazam i don't have to watch 12 movies to understand how shazam works and if i want to watch the second shazam i don't have to watch six movies before i do that like those things that again I think, and I think this is true of a lot of those movies. It's like, it's not as all encompassing of a thread that ties it together. Like there are branches to those trees, but like, you don't have to hit every single branch on the way down and know exactly where all the roots are to watch any of those movies. Right. Um, Let's go for, oh, DJ, go for it. I think at the, the onset of the MCU, that was really attractive though. Cause again, I was like, no one's really done this where it, it all is interconnecting and yes, you're getting these separate stories and you get like the team up movie. And I think that that initially was kind of a fun draw. Um, and it, it, because I didn't grow up reading comics a whole lot, um, it was kind of fun to be in the know of like, oh, I, that like that nod was, was for people who saw the movie previous or things like that. But I'm with you. I like the TV. Once the TV shows for the MCU really got involved, I stopped caring as much about <laughs> what else was going on and really wanted depth and, and time. So, like, yeah. WandaVision, I loved. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. The, like, other one, the uh, Doctor Strange one that just came out, Multiverse of Madness, I really didn't like. Um, I, I felt like it took some things from WandaVision and then like ran with it and it was the wrong things. And it was, um, I didn't like the tie-in. I felt like where things ended with WandaVision was like delightful because we got to see growth and we got to see these, these heroes, these, these like, but they're really people. And we got to see them mess up and be messy and be flawed. And to me, that is the like juicy little bits that I want to hold on to. Mm -hmm. Um, So, and also like, she-Hulk was another one where it was like it was so different in a lot of ways and kind of like but opens that door to that reality of no these are just people who happen to have powers and this like version is this this person's going to live their life that they wanted to live prior to getting them and I think that that is for me the like oh you're actually building your world building now not just kind of like this one like narrative line Uh, to me it feels similar to what they're doing this is probably for a different podcast but like star wars and like the the, the line is very boring to me but all of the other things around it where you were world building is delightful i'm seeing similar trends for me at least with the mcu yeah Um, and i will say the the important thing that she hulk gave us was that uh superheroes fuck yeah (laughs) 
And that Megan Thee Stallion's in the MCU. Yeah, Megan Thee Stallion is canonically in the MCU. Um, my fun fact of the MCU is that Lizzo is canonically in the MCU because of the Eternals. Yes, yes. It was literally her ringtone, and I screamed in the movie theater. Um, Chris, what about you? For you, what has been the the draw or what has kind of resonated in terms of like, I know we've talked to, I know you're a big WandaVision um, enthusiast. Uh, yeah. But what for you has been like the, the thing that has kept drawing you back to some of this? Like kind of the same as everyone else kind of like sort of what I'm almost, almost saying is that I like when they go outside the box a little bit. And that's definitely what they did with WandaVision. A lot of times, you know, when you're watching WandaVision and I'm someone who's seen it five times, um, <laughs> is that it's it's just a love letter to sitcoms and it's a love letter to old TV shows and stuff. So it doesn't necessarily mm-hmm. feel like just a superhero story. You could take the superhero element out of it and it's still such a solid, such a good show. And I like when they did yeah. that in a lot of stuff. Like they kind of did that with Logan, the, the last, you know, my, uh, mm. X-Men movie. It yep. kind of felt like a mm-hmm. very outside the box kind of superhero comic thing. And I, I love like how they did that. I, I feel like we've gone to the point in MCU where a lot of times we're going to the theater to, to like, just for an experience, just for like cameos and stuff like that. So like Spider-Man, the last Spider-Man movie, you know, watching right. it in theaters day one, I was like, yes, oh my God, all these cameos, you know, I was cheering, I was laughing, but does it have like rewatch value? I don't, I don't know. I don't think so. But to me, stuff like WandaVision does have that, even though it doesn't necessarily lean into the, you know, you're just here for cameos thing. It's just, it's just right. a really good story, regardless of the cameos that might, you know, be in it. And I really like when they did that. Yeah. And I think, I think one thing I've been enjoying, I mean, I like, I, I'm, I'm a Marvel fanboy, so I love, I mean, I, anything that Marvel puts out, I will watch. I've, I've watched, I think canonically I've watched everything Marvel has put out with the one exception of Inhumans. I tried and mm. I couldn't. Mm. I think I made it two episodes like, this doesn't make sense. I can't Probably get on board for the best. Um, <laughs> when they were like, this woman, like Medusa's hair is her power. We will shave her hair, but we can still see follicles on her head. I was like, she has hair. <laughs> like, this doesn't make sense. But I think outside of Marvel, I think I've been excited about some of the, like, marrying of like some of these like we're getting like the sandman and more like fantastical and like just brilliant storytelling that 10 15 years ago could not have been done in the way that it was done with the casting that it got and like the way they portrayed different characters and having non-binary actors and you know just the vision that neil gaiman brought to that and like the budget they had to make it happen um and like for me that was something it was, that was exciting because it's it's something that like i think has been on my radar like oh i need to read that at some point um because i'm terrible at reading the comics but like i know of them but i think seeing more of these like smaller projects like i um chris i think you watched it as well but i watched the the paper girls mm. um which is on oh, the amazon one? yeah it's on amazon it's about like a small like this group of like four young girls who were paper like delivered the newspaper and get caught up in like this wild time travel adventure trying to like stop the end of the world um and like it was it was one of those things where like it just felt it was it operated on such a small scale like even though it was trying to stop the end of the world like it still felt like it was it was small like they focus in on character development and like the story of these girls and what they were trying to accomplish and like just get home and what that meant because they're also children so they're like 
having like stupid fights where it's like, you said I was dumb. I'm leaving the group now and running off on my own. <laughs> but like, I don't know. I think I've appreciated that the the larger Marvel DC world has like opened up doors for us to get some of these like other weirder or like smaller things that again, like 10, 15 years ago, probably a wouldn't have been done and B also didn't have the budget to do what, what that kind of was. Yeah. And I would say too, like the ones that kind of operate outside of that machine. And some of this is just kind of the case of like, anytime you get something that is, so large and has so much money behind it and depends so much on mass appeal that like something is kind of lost in the process so something like paper girls that's like the door has been open for it to be told and it tells a really interesting deep story um invincible is another Mm. one that like i loved i had so much fun with that and like i can't like tv is the place for that and like outside of a machine like marvel or dc is the place for that because i can't think of like a movie that you would be able to get made outside of that machine that would go into the depth and grittiness in that kind of a way. I think there's too much sheen on some of the Marvel and DC ones now. So like we get a lot of breadth, not a whole lot of depth. And frankly, it's formulaic at this point. So I think you have to figure out what parts of that formula you really enjoy or who executing that formula you really enjoy over time. It's been more of that and less like, where's the story going? When, and like literally like leaning into that like you you have the boys on amazon which yeah. basically acknowledges the machine makes fun of the machine and like metaphorically like shoves a giant dick into it but also literally <laughs> in different episodes shoves giant giant dicks into things i mean yeah like, and like you can't have the boys without a machine like the mcu right. or dc existing because then what it's it's referential to what exactly so in some cases you need the big thing for the small things to exist but the small things at this point i think are telling better stories i really do agreed yeah i felt the same way about like the early season the first season of heroes if we all remember Mm. that that was just one of the best seasons of television like ever yeah i tell people all the time like as someone who watches Again, too much TV. That is one of the best individual seasons of television I have ever so seen. And they fucked they it up really fucked so it. bad. I didn't ask if we could swear, but I, I don't know what you... What else can I say about it? Oh, no, they, they, fu- they fucked it up. They fucked it up real bad. Yeah, They had, like, they had a, a golden co- trophy. A colossal ach- yeah, a colossal achievement that they fumbled so and I, and you can't so really like just blame. I know a lot of people, a lot of like hardcore fans, kind of blame it on the writers' strike at the time, at least for season two. Mm. But mm-hmm. like season two was, oof. It's not so the beginning of season two was going great before the strike. Yeah. so True. that's not all of it. Yeah, no the the number of times that I've I've re I've watched at minimum the pilot episode of season one of Heroes, and it's just like. The, the brilliant interconnectedness of every character and how they all line up with other people. Um, it was just, it was so good. It was so good. Um, it was so mm-hmm. ambitious and it worked. Like they knew how to do it. I was just, I was just so impressed at the time. Yeah. Well, and so I think getting, I think, and part of what I'm seeing in, in some of the stuff right now is like, I think we're honing in. And I, I mean, especially with, like Marvel and DC and like they're the way they told stories, like obviously like they're not obviously, but like the way the world works, 
it tended to center um, a lot of straight white people and specifically straight white men. Um, when you think about like the early iteration of Avengers or the Justice League or like any of the, the characters that we get repeatedly over and over again, like if I have to watch Batman's parents die one more time, um, <laughs> like we we get we know the story. We've been getting the same like character set. But I think in the in now, I think we're starting to see more, you know, reading Shang-Chi. We're getting more Black Panther content. We're getting Ms. Marvel. We're getting some more things. I'm sure there's stuff on the DC side that I'm just forgetting. But I don't actually think that they're I mean, like, I guess they gave Harley like they gave Harley Quinn some autonomy in her story with some some good surrounding cast, which is just at least not a white dude. Um, but I, and I know I put this question out to folks before this, but thinking about like the movie, the television, et cetera, have I, I forget if I said like, has there been or when did, but like for all of you, like, has there been a moment where you've watched something and felt seen in some way whether it be like an identity you hold that you really felt seen in or just as like as a person um i don't know who i'll kind of just like whoever wants to jump on that one first i'll go ahead and do it okay um i think so i'm mixed race um latinx and, and white and i think that for me any time that we deviated from the uh just the archetypal white straight man uh bits and pieces of me were starting to be seen um i'm also like in higher ed i use storytelling as a way to know thyself and so anytime that we have longevity and time to see those the ups the downs like the messiness the joy like that i can believe that these are real i really appreciate uh black panther was probably one of the first opportunities for me even though i'm not black it was still like there was so much there and i knew there was so much that wasn't there for me and i didn't fully understand and that was okay um i know we're not talking about the second one but i'm going to say namor and that's it that was (laughs) recently um america chavez like um and oddly the um Ryan Reynolds Deadpool. I'm also pansexual, and so like having a character who, mm, not really yet officially in the movies, but like Ryan Reynolds has been pretty upfront about wanting him to have a boyfriend, and like, at some point and things like that, and like having more, um, not straight representation, also would be really fun. Um, so there's a few options out there, and. Um, and I'm glad to see more and more, like Shang-Chi was another one where I was just like, I have not seen a movie that was this not white in a long time. Right. Um, Chris, what about you? Yeah. Um, when I first read the question, it was like, has there been a moment where you felt seen? I just wrote no. <laughs> and then I was like, hey, wait, <laughs> wait, you should think about Which this. Which is fair. <laughs> so the, yeah, but I was like, let me think about this a little bit. And I had to think long and hard. But, like, sadly, I'll just say, like, Eternals, there was that three seconds of, like, Pasto's gay husband who says Habibi on, like, you know, mm-hmm. in, in that moment where he's introduced. And I was just like, oh, my God, he just said a word in Arabic that I understood. And I was, like, screamed in theaters. <laughs> um, but, like, that just came out <laughs> last year. And that's so sad to think. But it's the first moment that I felt mm-hmm. that kind of connection for, you know, multiple reasons. But then... Ms. Marvel also, like, since then, I feel like we have been on kind of a upward trajectory, sort of, even slowly but surely. Mm-hmm. But, like, Ms. Marvel did 
just such a fantastic job of incorporating culture and language into the plot a lot and just you know they spoke arabic multiple times and they really teach you about the pakistan culture a lot and that felt really good as well um and then moon knight did that as well it was an egyptian like a very it was very egyptian in a lot of times and i love what they did specifically with the fact that they didn't paint the country with that stupid like yellow filter that they usually do every time a movie goes to egypt it's like here's a really bright yellow filter (laughs) yeah (laughs) and and amal what about what about you so i think that mine was also black panther and that's for a couple reasons so like it's not as though there weren't black characters beforehand but as someone who identifies as african versus african-american it was important that they were in africa with fabrics that like my family has dresses and like formal vestments and purses and things like that um the accents like everybody sounded like my uncle and it just made me so happy and actually at the time that it came out i was writing for a comedy website called the interrobang and I told my editor, I was like, I want to write about Black Panther. And she's like, is it a comedy? I was like, not really, but the Africans in it are funny. And I thought that was really important because so many portrayals of Africa to Americans, it's like, everyone's very serious and everyone's very sad. And it's because they live in sad circumstances. And being somebody that grew up in Ghana, and Ghana is tremendously advanced, one of the first countries to get independence on the continent well before the rest of it. And like Nigeria, they're there are technologically advanced things happening and there are innovations that seem like they were made up for the movie. And it's like, no, that could happen there at any time. So like it felt really accurate on a number of fronts and then getting to see kids dress up and be so excited. Like every child that dressed up for Black Panther that I saw online in person, sobbing. And it happened again last week. Every It's never going to get old for me because like, I didn't have that at that age. I was, 32 when i got it so like every kid that gets that i'm always gonna get emotional right and as as someone who is ama's friend and routinely sends her pictures of children dressed up for black panther or doing other things i can confirm that the response is always a series of crying emojis (laughs) um and and gratitude that i've i've sent um ama these pictures like oh my god look at this small child dressed up as black panther um never gets old (laughs) It's one of my favorite things to do for Ama is I just send her, I'm like, I'm, I'm on TikTok. I'm like, here's this thing. Ama, you need to see this. Every single time. And I, I, it never gets old. I always appreciate it. Yeah, And on the point of like seeing like happy, like portrayals or like funny portrayals, it's just, I like, I've had friends tell me that there is a Green Lantern now who is Lebanese and I am Lebanese and I'm like, okay, that's so exciting. And like, I, maybe I'll start reading comics that I've never read comics before in my life. But then I heard that like, it takes place during 9-11 and it's about him being muslim and it's about that story i'm just like no i don't want that i'm like it's great i I'm, i think it's important story to tell but i just want a happy arab story you know i don't necessarily need it to be just this tragic you know arab yeah. character <laughs> like we don't always need that and i think it, that really shows like who's this still being written for like it's not being written for you oh um, and like while having a lebanese character having a Latinx character, having an African character, like, might be like, yay! But, like, yeah, if it's not joyful, if it's the kill your gaze trope, like, all of those things, like, it's it's not really helping anything. It's making 
the majority feel better about themselves. They're like, oh, I'm a, I'm a good ally. Pat myself on the back. And that's, I'm not here for that right now. Well, and it says more about, I think, the the people who are writing that content where it's like, okay, if I'm going to write something about someone, you know, Lebanese or someone Arab, uh, obviously we got to read that one in 9-11 because my only vantage point for that population of people is this one event that I, as a white person, have like can connect with things which is awful like that that's people's reference points and like can't expand beyond that um but i think i do think on like the the hopeful side of that for me is that like we're seeing we are seeing better portrayals like i do think with ms marvel i think there was so much joy in in different parts of that story um i mean we got to see some of the history which i think was also important that people understood when when people talk about some of those things like what that actually meant um but yeah i'm i'm hopeful that i think that we we're seeing a little bit more of the you know like the joy side of things um uh, it's just it's that sad thing where like it's taken us so long to get to these moments um and i know i know for like for me you know i, I think obviously like there's the there's the one half of me where it's like obviously i am a white male presenting human being like i have i am seen in all of these things <laughs> like i can look around and see a lot of folks but i will say i think thinking about like the the queer part of me and i know this is so cheesy and whatever but like the stupid line from x-men 2 that like got me was when little ice man was sitting in his house with his parents being like mom and dad i'm a mutant and they're like, have you tried not being a mutant? And he was like, no, it's just part of who I am. And I was like, I know that's not a direct, like he is a queer person and he's coming out to his family, but that whole conversation felt so familiar in that you could take out the word mutant, replace it with gay. And it was the conversation I had with my mother when I came out. Like, <laughs> so I think there, there were those indirect ways that like that part of me had been acknowledged um but i do think since then and even kind of presently there's so little of it um and if there if it exists in the the show or the whatever it it often can be edited out um uh and i i'm i'm trying to think, like i'm i mean Etern- eternals was one where like the director was like no this will not be something you can like edit out and i'm willing to like go to bat for that but otherwise it's like, oh my God, it's our first like gay character. Um, I'll never forgive the Mar- MCU for their first quote canonically queer character being goddamn Joe Russo in a support group during Endgame. <laughs> I was so mad about that. As as well you should be. And I think too, like it says something to me about who from their directorial slate is willing to go to bat and say, you won't take it out. So Chloe Zhao, an Asian woman, was like, this will stay in the story. Mm -hmm. Whereas like the Russos are like, we'll throw a little bit of a bone at it. And they're immensely talented, but they're not impacted in the same way that somebody like Chloe Zhao would be if someone just said your identity doesn't exist in this. So that I've been paying attention Mm -hmm. to as well. Like who was going to bat? And it's often people who have had elements of their identity discounted or erased and things like that. So I'm hoping that as the directorial slate continues to diversify more people will push back because yep. i think a lot of people that haven't been impacted in that capacity are like sure we'll let it go for the sake of making money and other people just aren't willing to do that 
And I, and I would be super remiss if I didn't, I know, I feel like we've been kind of Marvel centric on some of these things. I'd be very, very, very remiss if I didn't like glance over at DC for its queer representation. Um, the, yeah. uh, Doom Patrol, Danny Street episode. One so of my, good. so good. Like so a good. fucking lie, like a, a living, breathing place that creates a sanctuary for queer people that had a drag, like a full drag ensemble. Like it was just one of those moments I was like, this is wild. And someone did it and like, it made it here. And also for um, Harley Quinn, like the entire Harley Quinn animated series. Oh, oh, I love it. I did not expect it, but I love it. And it's, I I do think, and so I, I, I'm always one of people like I want to make sure credit is given where credit is due, and I do think there are those spaces. Like, think DC on its side is doing well in some of those regards, and granted, those are their their TV properties, um, mm-hmm. not their their big budget movie properties, and that I feel like is is an important notable difference. But they are creating those those spaces. Um, but yeah, Danny Street Doom Patrol was probably one of my favorite episodes out of a D like a DC property, like to date. Um, yeah. More, more on the like cheesy side of like also portrayals, but in, in the DC world, I think Supergirl did something like that with like Maggie and Alex. It was like one of the first like lesbian, like relationships mm. in the DC, like Arrowverse or something like that. And I think they did handle it pretty well, but Twitter was just like, such a mess during that time when it was first revealed that like one of the main characters which was supergirl's sister um was a lesbian and it just turned into such a hot mess on twitter as it always ends up being but right as i was saying isn't it it's always a mess on twitter though (laughs) but at the time it was just like yeah yeah like i it's so rare that people are just like we're on twitter (laughs) and things are going great like so rare all right, so I do want to shift. I want to shift gears a little bit because this this question was actually one of my. I think one of the ones I was excited to kind of dive into because it it's just it's like I don't know. It's kind of fun. Um, but think about like here the heroes and villains of, and I left it very broad. So we're not limited to Marvel. This is like comic book, movie, entertainment, TV. Like who who are the ones that like always stand out in your mind in terms of like heroes or villains? Basically, this is like my who who are your favorite people. <laughs> in these movies question. Hmm. I feel like Chris Chris has got something to say. (laughs) I I can see the smile (laughs) on your face. I guess when when I was thinking about this one, and I know earlier I said like Arrowverse was like my first entry into comic books and stuff like that and comic stories, but I did... I am just like now remembering that I did grow up watching um, like Dean Cain's Superman show, uh, Lois, Lois and Clark, um, yep. the new adventure yeah. of Superman, I think it was called. And like, I, I loved his portrayal of both Clark and Superman, and I'm still waiting for a good Superman movie, um, <laughs> a modern <laughs> Superman movie. <laughs> um and I, I just, I don't know, I really liked that portrayal. So I think Superman was a character that, that I just loved so much growing up. And then as an adult, I just feel like I didn't 
I don't know, there wasn't anything more on that. I don't think it was expanded. Like, I kind of wanted a video game, a Superman video game for so long. Um, and I feel like, I don't know, I'm still waiting for that. But Scarlet Witch is another, like, mm. favorite. And that wasn't a thing up until WandaVision. I know a lot of people had been waiting for her, like, origin story to re- be revealed and to get more of um, of Wanda. But then... I was just like, oh, okay, whatever. But then WandaVision happened. I was like, okay, Scarlet Witch, yes, you are a favorite now. <laughs> and just on the villain side of things, I think, um, I guess I'm going to be the person who only talks about Arrowverse a lot, but like Deathstroke or Slade Wilson on the Arrowverse was one of the best villains that I've seen in like comic book TV shows in a very long time. He definitely, definitely like, overused him for a long time and he was on for seasons and seasons but he was the kind of villain that i that i thought was really menacing and actually killed off multiple main characters and he was just someone that you were legitimately scared of every time he was on screen and that's kind of what i wanted from like a villain nice um dj what about you yeah um so (laughs) reading this question i was laughing because I remember having a conversation with my husband just around the like I was a young kid growing up watching the X-Men like I was all about the X-Men and and Professor X and like the good guys and as I've gotten older and more jaded I'm like "Mm, Magneto had really good points (laughs) and so so, like I'm realizing that actually like what is like canonically being thrown as like the good people like Superman boring uh, Batman, a Playboy billionaire with too much money and daddy and mommy issues. But like, oh, there are these. If I want the nuance, it's the antiheroes and the villains that really mm-hmm. give that. Um, I also the running joke in the house is like, oh, all of the Batman villains are really not all of them. Some of them are just like people trying to do good things, just in a bad way. So like, poison ivy. Oh, we're killing all the plants. That's a bad thing. Uh, I'm going to kill everyone to do it. Uh, maybe not yeah. the way I would do it, but okay. Um, the plants will thrive if people are dead. Yes, <laughs> I understand the logic. Yes. Um, so like, those are some that come up for me. Um, I think the I think Black Panther both wanted to have done some good things with Killmonger and Namor. Um, being able to, like, again, it's out there and like, oh, I get this. Like, it, and I have to sit in my own discomfort of understanding what they're saying and maybe not agree with how they do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think those are the moments and, and those are the heroes. And I'm like, oh, give me more of that. Give me more of the, like, this is hard and making me feel things and not just, like, yay, the good guys win. Of, like, yeah, the good guys won, but, like, did they? huh, I have to sit with that a little longer. Um, so those are some of the ones that jump out at me. I think that, um, yeah, we'll stop there for now. And Ama? Uh, I am a Hulk girl. I am a nerd with a tenuous relationship with anger. And that's always been like really attractive to me. Um, We've had a couple different versions of like how that's manifested itself on screen. Some good, some okay, some not particularly great. Um, So she Hulk was additionally rewarding in that regard that I was like more Hulk stuff. That's great. I love it. Um, 
I definitely agree with the anti-hero villain type stuff in the sense that like especially as it's pertained to like the Black Panther thread of it is that like they're right and some of that villainy is just a different way to look at or perceive the consequences of being marginalized so I'm like okay that's an interesting interesting notion to kind of play around with so sometimes there are either good reasons for villainy or villainy is not actually villainy it's a necessary or inevitable consequence of being marginalized so that's been interesting but again i think we've gotten to a formulaic level of that where like every movie has their version of that and sometimes it's more justified and sometimes it's less justified um i will also say because i have strong opinions about casting in general and a villain that like pleasantly surprised me was Heath mm-hmm. Ledger yes. as uh, Joker because that first rumor came out about who was going to be cast as Joker going back to something I said earlier Paul Bettany as a Joker would have been insanely good and then we got Heath Ledger and I was like from a Knight's Tale and he was amazing like made me eat every single one of the words that I said about it not working. So that was a beautifully pleasant surprise with its own tragic ending, but a great, 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 great villain. Yeah. That whole trilogy was really solid. And I think, I mean, I I know I feel like this is one of those ones that like is maybe controversial, but like I really enjoyed Anne Hathaway's Catwoman. Same. Like it was so silly. It was... I don't know. It was. It felt like it was what it needed to be, and she had so much fun in the role. And it was yeah. a nice, a nice counter to like that intensity of like a Heath Ledger Joker to have something like an Anne Hathaway Catwoman, where it was just silly and fun. Um, but yeah, and I think for I think for me in terms of like favorite heroes, I mean, I was one of those people that like when I was like when I was younger. And I talked about this on the first podcast that we the first episode like. Like Rogue and Storm were like those are my rider dies. Yeah. Um, like I'm I am invested right now in the uh, eventuality that someone is going to be cast as Rogue in the MCU, and I am doubly invested in that being Kiki Palmer. They'll get yeah. her as Ooh. as much as Kiki Palmer is invested in it being her. <laughs> Just like, let yeah, her I have it. Just call it. Go- Just cast her right now and figure out the rest later. <laughs> Well, for I think it was for her Halloween outfit. She literally dressed up as Rogue and did a green screen and even said the like, hey, sugar, like, and I was like, it's done. Like, it's it's signed, yeah. sealed, delivered. Just like, cast her, just... write it down, figure <laughs> out the rest of the movie, but like, get her in. But be- and, I, and I and I do agree with folks like, I think I mean, obviously, I think some of the my I mean, I, I have been a, like, I've watched the iterations of Harley Quinn across the map from D.C., and when Harley Quinn is done right, Harley Quinn is incredible. The problem is they just don't always do Harley Quinn right. And it's interesting watching it being played by the same, like, actress <laughs> across a couple movies and having such a different vibe and a different story and what that feels like. Um, and then different from her, like, animated series um, being an, an entirely different person playing that that role. But, like, I don't know. There's something about some of those 
some of those types of characters. I, I'm with you, DJ, on like the, you know, growing up, you're like, Professor X is such a good guy. And then the more you read stuff and you're like, he's kind of a dick. Like he recruited a bunch of teenagers and then send them, sends them on life and death missions <laughs> while he not just chills of. at home. Yeah, not kind of a dick. I think actually is a dick. Yeah. Um, and I and I know that it would be a very, very I don't I don't know that anyone could do this, at least right now, but um out of the comics, the House of X and Powers of X duo, my mm-hmm. God, if they ever turn that into some sort of you know, entertainment property in like an like an HBO Max venue or like a whomever gets it. I don't I don't think I trust Disney Plus to do it right. But <laughs> like that's and and the 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 very thin line between the heroes and the villains in in that story arc is, you know, you literally got them all sitting around a table together, like all of your like notable heroes and villains. Um, yeah, I, but I, I do I do think other otherwise. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say like I do think like talking when Amma was talking about like um, antiheroes and stuff, and we have reached so, almost an oversaturation of antiheroes where like everyone wants to try to do it because they want to try to be sort of you know this isn't a perfect you know character it's not always done right but i think something i had like completely forgotten about because i don't know it it was off for a while and then now it's back on disney plus but jessica jones was one of the like Mm. (laughs) just one of the best portrayals um of an anti-hero slash main hero main character and it was just done so right and it's also one of the things where when it was casted at first i was like kristen ritter really who just did don't trust be in apartments (laughs) i was like okay i mean i love that show but it was a sitcom and i was like how can it like i want to see this range and she came and she's like here's the range that you're asking for and it was just so good well, and even like in her first season, she benefited, like she had the, the, I guess I will call it a joy, even though it feels weird because like her villain in season one was David Tennant. Yeah. And Amazing. oh my God. Ugh. Um, And there's also like, there is a small fact about Jessica Jones. I forget, she got what, was it two or three seasons that she had? Three? Three? Maybe. <laughs> whatever her, whatever her last season was, her... Um, the show like barely the, the show itself did acknowledge it but they acknowledged it outside of the show but her like assistant like her secretary woman that was li- like working in the office with her is a trans woman and the character was a trans woman oh but the show never talked about it which was like good and like for me it was like a it was a i can see both sides of this where it's like good you have a character who's just doing their thing living their life telling their story and it's not rooted in like the trauma of being a trans person and all this other stuff but they also just never acknowledged it in the context of the show. They like acknowledged it after the fact. Um, but, but yeah, no, Jessica Jones is a, is an incredible example of like a, an anti-hero that works more nestled on the hero side of the yeah. line. Yeah. Versus like, or at least they're portrayed that way. Like she's the central good character versus like, she's like a killmonger who is, quote our villain because we can't use terminology like anti-hero because that's too nuanced for a mar you know a comic mm-hmm. book property <laughs> um but yeah no i forgot like she's that was a really solid one um yeah i think i think right now my big thing is i've i've been excited and, and hopeful for like the the rumblings of the x-men on the horizon because i think they've always been i think out of 
all comic book stuff. They've always been my like the the space that I most identify and and appreciate. Um, and so I'm I'm excited to see them them roll in. I'm I'm really invested in all of these castings, and I do truly on this podcast we'll say out loud, Kiki Palmer. <laughs> Is my mm-hmm. rogue because my god, they did Anna Paquin mm-hmm. so fucking dirty in her mm-hmm. whole set on that. Like they took. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was gonna say if we're talking fan casts, um, Dominique Jackson as Storm. Mm. I also want that. I, I need that in my life. <laughs> so my like. I don't know if it's controversial, but my like my personal preference and one that people give me side eye on when I say it for Storm is I would really love Uzo Aduba in that role because I think she could I think she could deliver us like yeah. 90s animated series Storm and I want her screaming about going to the monorail. Like that's what I want. Mm-hmm. But Dominique Jackson also is would be an incredible choice. So I know this wasn't one of the questions, but can I ask you your thoughts on uh, an X-Men thing, or is that not allowed? No, go for it. Let's do it. So um, there's been rumblings about X-Men coming up and all of those things, and the idea of is um, Magneto's Jewish heritage and experience of the Holocaust still relevant, which I have so many thoughts and feelings on, Um, but... And talking about if they cast, because they're looking at actors of many races now, and if they do yep. a black actor, Giancarlo mm-hmm. Esposito, yep. um, it being more of the civil rights movement. Thoughts? Favorable. I mean, I, what? Favorable. I don't, well, I actually don't know if it would be civil rights necessarily, but like Giancarlo and an associated backstory that makes sense with that, I like it. I think it could be fascinating. Yeah. I think, mm-hmm. actually, I think, um, it was a couple months ago. Ama and I actually, we went to go see a show together and, and we, I was getting ready to do a, a friend's fan casting of X-Men, which is why I have such strong feelings about it. Um, it was for a Twitch stream that I was doing. And and I think we had talked about this. We're like someone being like someone having the experience of being a survivor of the Holocaust at that with like in 2022, the age on that would be so off in terms of being able to make them a viable character. That's not like 95 years old. Um, and so whether they're, they play with, however they play with age or whatever, but like, if you keep it where like, they're just like a regular person that happens to have superpowers, I do think rooting it in something in like the 60s, 70s and like, ta- and like really focused on some of that. Um, some friends I talked about, like, is there some, even some wiggle room in terms of like AIDS crisis? Yeah. Um, and like, mm-hmm. You know, and and because you you for Magneto and Professor X, you need to have those two counterpoint views of like something happened that we all kind of collectively experienced, and I am taking the one approach to it, and you're taking the other, and like what are those like big enough moments that could really yield that? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, John Carlo Esposito was act he in my for me, he was actually my Professor X. But, oh yeah, I think he could do that too. But I, I I've seen both ways. I'm like, like, what can't he do? Exactly. Um, right. but, well, thank you. Yeah, no, I I do think I I do think some of that will be interesting to see. I think for the X Men stuff, I'm interested to see a what characters they bring in, and then b how they bring them in. 
mm-hmm. because that the X-Men roster is so vast. Like you could bring in so many different people without ever touching like that original crew that was in the first X-Men movie in like 2001 or two. And genuinely, are we running out of actors? I worry about that all the time. Like <laughs> Josh Brolin's already been in it twice. And like, no one's talking about that. We're already duplicating. So like, how many more are there? Yeah, it's yeah. It'll. I'm. I'm very. I will be very interested to see what what some of that turns into or what some of that looks like once once we get it. Um. Will Will they make some of those bold choices? <laughs> Would it be exciting? Absolutely. Um. My my like big my for that X Men fan casting I did with some friends. My big controversial thing was that I think Magneto should be played by a woman because I want a like powerful black woman to like leave Scorched Earth behind her. Because of how mm-hmm. society would have been not only treated her because of her race, but because of her, her sex and like those that just layered of impl- layered implications of what that could turn into. And I said my choice was Alfre Woodard. Um, I know technically she's already uh. in the role, but as Anna was saying, we're double casting at this point. So Alfre Woodard could come back and do another role. Um, but I do think there's some I mean, and I know I know Marvel and Disney would never go so far as to like gender bend some of like their biggest like characters like Magneto, but it would be interesting. That's my like super hot take is that I think it would be interesting to play with gender on some of these established characters. And I think too, and I don't know if I've said this explicitly up to this point, but I do think that that's been a real big difference across the board between what has been done from comic book adaptations for movies and what's been done for, um, for TV. So I could see it where, like, they wouldn't want that as a movie, maybe, but then, like, a what-if episode does that. So, like, TV Mm. is kind of allowing some things that, for whatever reason, they're not willing to take risks with in the movies. So I think some of, like, what's been really attractive about these adaptations, in some cases, really depends on where they are, because there is more risk-taking and, in a lot of cases, better and more interesting storytelling um on the tv ones than there has been in the movies yeah i'd agree with that um okay so what what, what else have i on my list over here oh yes so kind of shifting gears off of like these big powerhouse things that churn out stuff you know seven seasons of something every year for for everybody what is either a show or movie that is comic book related in some way that you feel is like underappreciated or glossed over um, that like doesn't get the love and attention that it deserved. DJ, what is your underappreciated, underrepresented or under underrated show? So it's, I think it's, it's the new hotness right now, but I am enjoying the Sandman a lot. And I felt like Mm. the adaptation was really, really done well. So I was super excited when season two has been announced and I'm living for all of like the potential um, amazing people that will get in some of those roles. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that for me, like, I, don't, I wouldn't say it's like lesser known now, but I think that like the original Sandman comics were so kind of weirdly niche and, and kind of gatekeepy, to be honest, that now that it is on... Um, 
uh, Netflix and there's all of this discourse around it that like a new potential generation of people are finding out that it's actually available to them um, mm-hmm. is really exciting and just it's so weird and twisty and dark and I love it um, yeah. but also like delightful and joyous in weird ways so for me that's probably the one that I'm like it's not just what people have watched but just maybe engaging more in that that world and that that that, that realm of those comics yeah and I mean and the the two episodes that well I guess three because the bonus episode was incredible because the cat episode was completely unhinged and I loved every second of it but the other two from that series that was so good was, I mean, obviously like the diner episode was oh my gosh. gut-wrenching. Oh. Um, and then also the episode with um, Kirby Hal Baptiste with her walking around his death and just like spending a day being deaf and like just watching her go from like moment to moment. Mm-hmm. Um, that I, I sat with both of those episodes for like a solid 15 minutes after they were over being like, oh my God. And just the Mason Alexander Park casting of Desire gave me everything I didn't know I needed and wanted and left me mm-hmm. wanting so much more. Um, and so, like, we were talking about Kiki Palmer earlier, about, like, kind of sh- um, all the stuff she did for her Halloween costume and, and, like, some ways, like, shooting her shot. Well, Mason Alexander Park did that as well, but, like, slid into Neil Gaiman's DMs about why yeah. they should play Desire. So, like, I love that, like, Kiki Palmer is like, oh, let's do this too and like get it out there that I, I want this. I'd be good at it and I'm excited for it. Um, but yeah, no, Mason Alexander Park was, was fantastic. I'm excited to see more of the family come into the next ones. Yeah. Chris, what do you, what do you got for us? I don't really know if it's underrated because it won like a shit ton of awards and I was so happy that it did. (laughs) But to me, it's still a little underrated because it's not like a big Disney plus show and it hasn't been going on for, you know, six years. It just had a small, tiny season run and it was so perfect. But it's the 2019 HBO show Watchmen with Regina Mm -hmm. King. Um, and it was just perfect. Like I, I go back every now and then and watch like the eighth episode, which is called "A God Walks into a Bar," and the layers on that episode is just amazing. And it's something that I feel like not a lot of people have seen because either people think it's not a superhero show at all, because um, I don't think the marketing to it really gave off that vibe, or people think it's like related to the movie that came out, I don't know, like a long time ago, which I have not seen. Yeah. <laughs> but it was just so good. And if you've not seen it, I highly, highly recommend. Yeah. No, that was the way that they took that story and the way they did some of those things was was incredible. Um Regina <laughs> Regina walking out to the uh Mr. Manhattan on the pool. She's like, get yes. your ass in the house. <laughs> As he's like standing in the middle of a pool of water, and even um, like how the show ends, it's it's so like it's so baby and everything, and you're just like, oh come on! But at the same time, just like this is perfect. I don't need more. Don't give me any more seasons ever. Don't you dare! This was perfect the way it is, and I cherish it for what it was. I think for I do think for for me one of the ones, and I mean this is going to lean into the fact that I'm a Marvel fanboy, but like. I go I go all the way down to The Runaways on Hulu. The yes. Runaways was this like wacky little show that shouldn't have worked 
it had a fucking dinosaur in it that some girl could control with her brain. Like it was, it was so stupid. It was super. <laughs> it was super angsty. It was so silly. Oh. But like that one and um, Cloak and Dagger, kind of because they like and those two like played off of each other. Like there was a crossover bit with the the two shows. Um, but I don't know. I feel like those were two that like I don't know that we're gonna ever see any of those characters. Although I, I mean, Twitter is a dumpster fire, fucking mess. I did see a rumbling that we might see one of the one of the characters from Runaways pop into uh, Agatha. Um, mm, okay. Whether it was had any standing of being true or not, because it was you know God only knows random person who made it look like they were a valid person on Twitter. But that was like ooh, like that character. It would make sense. Like the character would make sense to come into Agatha. Um. And be, I would be I would have loved the opportunity for I think more people to appreciate and know the Runaways and Cloak and Dagger because they're one of the few properties that have never found their way in. Like we gave the Inhumans a moment in Multiverse of Madness. Like we can give the Runaways a moment because they deserve it more mm-hmm. than the Inhumans did. And I will I I'm on record audibly oh. saying it out loud. <laughs> uh, was it Black Bolt in Multiverse of Madness? was fine but like you have a better bench of people that i think deserve some of the spotlight in in like the mcu properties i think we should have an episode uh, dedicated to just hating on inhumans and i would like to be a part of that <laughs> <laughs> i'd have to watch it though and i don't want to actually watch the whole thing uh, so um good. ama do you what is your what is your underrated underappreciated tv show or movie powerpuff girls Mm. offbeat but a standby it i like it i like it isn't it a... but not oh, go ahead not the gritty cw reboot mm. no thank you just og animated let's do it and i'm gonna knock that villain villain drama a little more some great villains that i love yes mm-hmm. great great villain work on the powerpuff girls i think that that was one of the first times i think i realized like oh no you can like root for a villain if you want like the gang green gang mojo jojo him just as a general concept like (laughs) amazing and it's just one of those things where it's like oh i know i'm not supposed to enjoy them but i really really do like that kind of cracked something open for me about seeing like well yeah anti-heroes are like on that spectrum in between and all the other like shades of of being able to distinguish between like black and white like there's gray area and i think powerpuff girls without meaning to taught me that so one time for them all right and then our 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 wrap-up question before we spend like two to three minutes yelling about black panther 2 um and ama this is where you started answering this before so I'll kick it over to you. But yeah. what is a thing you would love to see transformed into a show or movie? Yeah, so this is a real story that I just think has like superhero potential. Um, but so in the race to the North Pole, there was an explorer named Robert Peary who was like one of the foremost scientists that got to do it. Foremost explorer, well-funded. And he had a black man named Matthew Henson that went with him. And was, like, the primary guide, um, knew the indigenous languages, was, like, a big, big, 
big part of him making it there at all. Um, that story is begging for a movie with Aldous Hodge as Matthew Henson and Robert Downey Jr. as uh, Robert Peary. I have given this a lot of thought. I don't know who to pitch it to, but like, I want that movie and I want it like yesterday. <laughs> oh, I like. Let's. I mean, again, yeah, when we and we saw how like how well something like uh, I think you referenced it before, like, but Hidden Figures did when it translated up to like a big screen. Um, it would be good. To, I think it, there's a lot to be said for some of those. Like, it's not necessarily a comic book, but like giving us heroes in a different kind of context would be awesome. Yes, and I've even thought about how to pitch it to Aldous Hodge. So, like, genuinely, if anyone has money, like, I know how to get him to do it. <laughs> I've got. I can. I can make this happen. Just somebody give me the money. I've got it. I can do it. We will start the Kickstarter tomorrow. Uh... <laughs> Thank you. Um, let's go over to we'll do we'll go to DJ. What is your thing you would love to see up on a big screen or a TV yeah, screen? I, I'm boring because I don't really have an answer, but anything that is really providing more opportunity to see if we're going like traditional superheroes, people who were like j- just have powers but aren't hero like superheroes in that way, still trying to live their life and 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 kind of grapple with this new reality and like now pressure from the outside world telling them like well are you an adventure like all of those things it's some of the stuff i loved in uh, in she hulk in this, some of those early episodes and conversations and i would love to see more of that um and things that are browner blacker and queer all across the board yeah hell yeah um you said that and i i i know this isn't comic book but there i read a, a really great book this past year called um we could be heroes by Mike Chen mm-hmm. and it's all about like these like very very like kind of basic human beings just being like oh crap I have superpowers I can do a thing exactly and like how they how they do it and it's it was it was fascinating it was a very fascinating um read to go through um and Chris what do you what do you got for us um I was thinking of like the villain series by V. Schwab, which I think Eric, you are the one who introduced me to V. Schwab, and I hate you for it. <laughs> the number of times. I mean, she's she's trying. Yeah, she's trying to get that out there. I think she's trying with darker shade of magic. Is she trying with villains? I don't know. I think she's trying with all. She just really? said, "I want everything oh. on the TV." I mean, well, I, she. I will consume it. Yeah, I do, and I do too. Yeah, exactly. yeah. Gets darker shade of magic. Magic was great. Um, no, I know. So V.E. Schwab, so for anyone listening who doesn't know V.E. Schwab, stop everything you're doing right now and go find any book of hers. I don't care what it is. Find whatever is available. Read it. You'll then read everything else that she's written. Um, but has a set called Villains that is sort of, I mean, I was, when I, and when I'm pitching it to my friends as to why they should read it, it's like, I'm like, it's kind of like Magneto and Xavier if they are both actually assholes and just trying to murder each other. Like that's the vibe. Um, and I, and the only reason I said, I think that she's been trying to pitch it is because I remember a couple of years ago, she was at a convention and I'm going to blank on his name, but the actor who played uh, James Holden in the expanse was there. And she walked up to him and gave him a book that said, meet Eli. I think you'll get along wanting him to play the role. Ooh. <laughs> and then she said like a couple days later, he came by and was like, you tell me when. <laughs> There's a boldness to it. I love it. I love it was it. so good. I, I um, but that. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, you're good. Go for it. I was just gonna say, like, I've thought 
so long and hard about this ever since I read the like duology, which is now going to be like a trilogy. But um, you know, part of you know, you know this, Eric, but like I do a lot of like screenwriting on the side as well, and I have written like a spec of what it would look like to have the villain series as a TV yes! show, and like it would it would just work it. so well. Like no spoilers, but the book both books have flashbacks, and that's something that works so well in TV format. Like it's just been done to death, but you could just mm-hmm. go back to their college life when they were roommates, and then you could go forward. It just it would just work so well, and just like make it happen. Let's see it. Yeah, I'm down 100%. 100%. <laughs> um my so and the one that the one that I came up with um and I it's I think it's similar to something that's already been done, but it's a it's a set called The Wicked and the Divine. Um and it is about this mythology that the gods live like the gods come down to earth and live for x number of years and then they all die and then they're reincarnated a number of years later. But in the the iteration that you start with, they're all basically pop stars. So like one has like David Bowie vibes and like they all kind of approach the godhood in different ways and they amass their followers and they like have their little like almost like cults, but like little religions that they've developed of like their following. Um, and then it, it starts off with like the, the initial premise is like someone kills one of the gods. Ooh. And then they're trying to figure out like who killed them, what happens. Um, mm, like the right. writing is just super clever. It it has some of my like favorite panels that I think I've seen. There's one. It's just like this character just screaming. She's like, fuck, fuckity, fuck, fuck, fuck. <laughs> and you're just like, that's a mood. And I understand and I can connect and resonate with this. Uh, <laughs> and I do say like, and I say it's like similar. It has similar feelings, I think, to Neil Gaiman's American Gods, which did mm. get made into a series. And I thought season mm-hmm. one was really well done and i forget if they ever made a season two i know there's a lot of drama about it um season one was incredibly well done start to finish um which did include queer characters which did include um i'm trying to remember some of the mythologies but they pulls from like all over the world um and it was just really well done and i think this sits kind of in that wheelhouse um and it would be interesting to see what kind of story you could tell again with like the budget and the money that you have to like make some of these entities into ex- like reality uh but yeah so that's that's my like weird little niche project that like if somebody ever wanted to like pick that up and run with it that it could be really interesting to like see that come into light um i love it all right so let's do we'll do a quick round of Tell tell people how to find you if they want if you want to be found. Um, I'll do a quick little thank you for listening, everybody, and then we will uh, chat for about two minutes about Black Panther at the t- as a as a tag at the end. Um, <laughs> so if you all, if, I'll just kick it. We'll I'll go alphabetical again. So Ama, where can people find you if you would like to be found? I would like to be found. I am a comedian in the Boston area, but also travel on occasion. So where I will be is typically on my Instagram account at Amamarfo and on my website, amamarfo.com. And yes, please come find me. It would be a pleasure. Uh, Chris. I would also like to be found. Um, You can find me at Twitter for now. Who knows? By the time you're listening to this. (laughs) 
Maybe Twitter Twitter will be dead. (laughs) Maybe. But I'm sticking with it until the end, I think. Question mark. But at Chris Shadrawi, basically there. Also on Instagram, at Chris Shadrawi. That's C-H-E-D-R-A-W-I. And I will put that in the show notes. I'll put all of Ray's links in the show notes so people can find folks easily. Um, And DJ, where can you be found if you'd like to be found? Uh, Yeah, you can find me uh, currently on the Dumpster Fire. That is Twitter as well. Um, at DJ underscore KQ, because I am not going to be cruel and make everyone spell Kelly Quatroki. Um, I will warn you, I am boring and snarky and talk a lot about higher ed representation and nerd things when I do tweets. So um, maybe this will encourage me to be more active. All right. Well, again, thank you everybody for joining us. Um, we are going to stay on for a couple minutes after you hear the outro music um, to talk about Black Panther. Um, but thank you everybody for joining us today. Thank you everybody for listening. Um, again, my name is Eric Crumrine, and this has been The Queer Experience. All right, let's talk Black Panther. Let's do this. So are we all just going to collectively scream for two minutes? Is that the... the, the... <laughs> That's what I was promised. I know, <laughs> so, right? I, I mean, my God. I mean, we cried, right? Like we, like everyone, like we just, we saw. Oh, of course. Yeah. And I'm not, I'm not a crier, and a bunch. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say, I, I, I think I was a little bit more partially steeled for the movie because I, I went in with the background knowledge that people thought Angela Bassett should be up for an Oscar. And my brain said the only reason that someone in a Marvel movie would be up for an Oscar, like Angela Bassett, is probably because something bad is going to happen to her. Oh. Yeah. And so when it did happen, my brain was like, mm-hmm, yep, you knew this was going to happen. Oh, yeah. I, um, I didn't see it coming. And the whole time, like, the sequence when it happened and the water comes in, I was just like, no, they better not fucking kill Angela Bassett. They can't do that. And then they did. And I cried. But, uh, yeah. Um. So I guess let's do for it to make this kind of succinct and keep us within, because I feel like otherwise we'll go on for like 30 minutes. Uh, what are like one, what are your like top two highlights of the movie? Uh, Ama, I'll kick it off to you. Uh, definitely M'Baku's first entrance because we are a Winston Duke household over here. And just again he's just he's funny but he also like gets the task at hand and is having so much fun with it um and then there was a angela bassett scene where she's like talking and like there was just a moment in my head of like and i don't know if any of you or anyone listening has seen kiki palmer's angela bassett impression it's impeccable and there was a moment where she was talking i was like i can't wait to see kiki palmer's impersonation (laughs) of this she'll do it it will be amazing and like just so excited but in general it was just a wonderful experience again like to some of the stuff we just talked about i don't know that i expected a lot of it to surprise me but i think that it was again beautifully shot wonderfully acted and i think there was an element of like grieving that everyone was going to need to participate in that the movie did beautifully so i really appreciated that um chris what do you got my top two like favorite things about the movie were the beginning and the end like 
just jumping you, just throwing you into sure. this hole. He's sick, and she's trying to save him. She's like, oh my god, no. And my heart, like, you immediately start sobbing. You're like, I know where this is going. And the camera work there was just fantastic. It, it did, they did the, like, very overused shaky cam, but it was so well done. And then that leads into the complete dead silent credits, like the Marvel like credits. I was just like, the entire theater was so fucking silent, and I've never seen a theater watching a Marvel Marvel movie that quiet before. So that like elevated the experience. And then the very ending, well, the post credit scene just completely destroyed me with um, his son coming up and just you know saying. Chala and she and just the the realization that that's what Angela Bassett's character had wanted to tell um had wanted to tell her daughter before she, they got interrupted by Namor. I was just like, oh, that's what that is, and I was just obsessed with that. Um, so those were my two favorite things besides everything else that was perfect about this movie. <laughs> um, DJ, what do you got? Um, I think part of it is was the experience, and, and Chris, what you just said, like there are multiple times that you could have heard a pin drop in the theater, which from Marvel movies is never the case usually. And so I just I loved the like, oh shit, we're all in this together. Um, and also I, the juxtaposition of um, like the African culture and Afrofuturism and the underwater like Mesopotamian culture that was happening between just everything was amazing and like and there were dark skinned like brown folks and like it was I think for me that was so much of that representation which was so hard to not talk about in the podcast FYI (laughs) was just was beautiful and again young kids joy all of the things I think Amma that you talked about with Black Panther I got in Black Panther too. Yeah, I think um, I, I I feel like my list could be. I mean, as everybody's list of things could be forever long, and we could literally do an entire hour long, two hour long, three hour long podcast about this. Um, and I will once again plug if you if you haven't, if you are a listener of this pod, uh, you should go listen to Ian Carlos Crawford, who was on our pilot episode with his friends, who talked about this for I believe a full two hours. Um, just kind of breaking everything down. I mean, I'm going to say my favorite things. Um, step one, um, Namor. And I don't necessarily mean in ideology, perhaps, but also just um, aesthetically and the level of thirst that Marvel has given us for some of its characters. <laughs> my God. Um, because allegedly, yes, like, allegedly, like, like Sue Storm, like, cheats on, or Sue Reed, like, like Mr. Fantastic's wife cheats on him with her, with him. Um, and I get it. Like, I don't even know who's cast as, as you know, Dr. Is Mr. Fantastic, but like, yeah, yeah, I, I'm choosing Namor. Um, and, but I, I do think, I mean, on a I, like actual serious note, um, I think Angela Bassett in the, um, courtroom, when uh-huh. they walk in the French operatives was literally fucking masterclass. Um, and just watching Angela Bassett, like basically read the UN for filth just brought me so much joy. Um, and then we didn't, I mean, we, I know you're in, obviously in the podcast, we were trying to not talk about this movie as much, but also just Riri Williams, like yeah. Ironheart, uh-huh. 
I'm so pumped for her series. I'm so pumped for that character. So good. Like I forgot in my brain, I knew she was coming, but I forgot that she was coming. Yeah, same. Yeah. And so when they're like, we're going to MIT, I literally smacked my friend Patrick, who was sitting next to me. And he looked over because he doesn't know Marvel things that deeply. He just like was going because it's Black Panther. And he was like, what? And I was like, oh, you don't know. Never mind. <laughs> yeah, they kept like, saying oh they kept God. saying scientists, scientists. I'm like, who the fuck is this scientist? I was like, wait, what the fuck? Of course it's her. <laughs> of course it's her. But I, I do think like I those things are exciting because again, it's an inter- it was a I think it was a way to introduce a character that we know is getting a show, but it didn't feel like it was a way to introduce a character who we knew was getting a show. Um, and so I, I appreciated that. Um, also, there was like the what twenty five second queer moment near the end. Yeah, yeah. Where Michaela mm-hmm. Cole is like, or Ma- Michaela Cole is like, "Hello, my love," and you're like, "Wait, what?" Yeah. I think it was writing a wrong though, because in the in after the first one, there was another one of those teasers of like, "Oh wait, we have lesbian representation here as part of the Dora Milan." Everyone's like, "Wait, where? What? When?" And so like that was that moment in two, be like, "See, we weren't lying." But we can still, but we can still edit it out as needed. Edit out, yeah. And because I, in reading some of like the pre-interviews, like Michaela Cole had talked about like being excited to play a queer character and wanting that in there. So like most of the time, I was just like, "But when?" So then, when you do get it, I was like, "That's it, okay." Which is very Marvel. Very Marvel. Very Marvel. Um, I I know we're keeping this short, but just there was a single line by Julia Louis-Dreyfus of I dream about that reality when they're talking about, mm. oh my god, it like sent chills down my spine. Yeah. And I'm like, oh my god, you're so evil and I love you for it. But like, it literally yeah. like, she could have been weeping for joy saying that line of that reality. And I was like, that's scary. And I'm here yeah. for it. I wasn't expecting yeah. her in this actually. And I was just like, okay, wow. I'm like, I'm glad she was in it. I completely didn't think that they were gonna like put her in this, but it made sense. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, for a second time, thank you all for listening. <laughs> we are officially officially wrapping up, and this is the actual end of the episode. If you hung around to hear us talk about a little bit of Black Panther two, but I want to thank again my guests Ama, Chris, and DJ for joining me today. Um, And once again, my name is Eric, and this has been The Queer Experience.